You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled The Tomb. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me today for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. This is program number 99. As you can imagine, we have covered many topics so far and have heard what the Bible has to say about them. Today we will consider the subject of the tomb, so stay listening. You know, most people do not like talking about death. Why is that? It's probably because when somebody dies, there is separation and there's grief and sadness. None of those things are particularly nice. It's very interesting how different cultural groups deal with death. Some celebrate. Some mourn for weeks on end, and others venerate. Instead of burying their dead, some people groups take the deceased person and place it on a flat rock high up in the mountains. Then, after the vultures come and eat all the flesh, leaving just the bones which are later gathered, and they are put in some ceremonially sacred spot. What a way to end up. I suppose that's almost the ultimate recycling. But there are many ideas surrounding the subject of death. One prevailing one shared by many cultures is that when someone dies, they really don't. Instead, it is thought that they are transformed. Some Christians erroneously believe that the departed person goes immediately to heaven or hell. It's therefore a strange thing that so much money is spent on funerals. If the dead take up life again in another form, why arrange an elaborate funeral? It doesn't make sense. There is an apparent contradiction in the practice of certain Christians and what the Bible teaches. Hindus generally believe that each person lives a lifetime as a particular life form and then at death they transform into something else and live a lifetime as that and so on ad infinitum. They also introduce a moral element into this strange belief and say that a good person might end up as an eagle or a cow, while a bad person might end up as a rat or a worm. So, is there any authoritative truth about what happens at death? As far as I know, there is none apart from God's Word, the Bible as no one who experiences death is in, in any state to say anything about the subject, 
because, well, when they die, they're out of commission. We have had a look at what the Bible says about the state of the dead in an earlier program. But as a brief summary, the Bible says that when someone dies, they cease to function. The life that was given to them is gone from them, and there is absolutely no physical, mental, or spiritual activity. There is no consciousness, no thoughts, no feelings, no praise to God. Death is likened to a sleep, a long one. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 are some statements that tell what happens when someone dies. Verse 5 says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And then verse 6 goes on to say, Their love, their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. And in verse 10 is an injunction for everyone. It says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. If you happen to be in a cemetery, you will notice that many of the tombstone inscriptions often finish with a phrase something like this. Asleep in Jesus, or sleeping till Jesus comes. Death is like a sleep. Jesus experienced death. The big thing, however, is that Jesus did not remain in the tomb. A sceptic would probably say that it's not possible for anyone to come alive again after having died. Humanly speaking, they'd be right. But with God, it's different. You see, God is the life giver. The Lord gives life, and it is no problem for him to return life to someone who's died. The Bible records a number of people who were raised from the dead. In fact, the hope of sincere Christians is that, based on God's word, if a Christian dies, he or she dies in the hope of being made live again at the return of Jesus. People who visit the Holy Lands and who visit Jerusalem are interested in seeing the tomb where Jesus was laid. But no one these days can be exactly sure, as there are three sites where claims have been made that Jesus had been entombed there. The first of the three is a tomb in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Here, a magnificent church has been built over a simple above-ground structure set in the middle of the church. Many pilgrims visit this place. 
It is not very likely that this was the, was the tomb where Jesus was laid. Then there is the Talpiot tomb, where the rock has been hollowed out of the side of a hill face. This one is a more likely place. Thirdly, there is the garden tomb. It is very possible that Jesus was laid there. If you visit Moscow, you may have the opportunity to visit the tomb of Lenin. Lenin's body lies in state there, and thousands of people file through this fantastic building each day to catch a glimpse of their once notable leader. The same goes for China, where a magnificent memorial building has been erected for the communist leader Mao Zedong. His body lies in state in this building, and hordes of people spend hours lined up outside each day, waiting their turn to go inside to get a brief look at their venerable leader. My wife and I have visited Westminster Abbey in London, where many famous people have been buried. And although their corpses are not on view, many visitors come to simply be in the presence of those who died long ago. But where does one go to view the body of the world's most famous person, Jesus Christ? Although... There is that magnificent church of the sepulchre in Jerusalem. Jesus' body is not there. Likewise with the talpiot and garden tombs. They are empty. Why? Has someone stolen the body of Jesus? No way. When the women who raced down to the tomb on that Sunday morning to embalm Jesus, they were met with some surprises. Firstly, that great stone securely fastened at the entrance to the tomb and with the Roman seal on it was rolled away. And then they saw inside that the tomb was empty, except for the grave clothes neatly folded, lying on the stone slab. And then there was the ultimate surprise. Two angels spoke to the women and told them, He is not here, he is risen. Angels have been given the task of making some very important statements to the inhabitants on planet Earth. An angel announced to Mary that she would have a son. She would give birth to a child of God, and he would be called Emmanuel, as it would be he who would save people from their sins. A host of angels appeared to the shepherds on the hills near Bethlehem, announcing that the Saviour was born. Those were very significant announcements. But some people think that the most significant announcement was 
He is not here. He is risen. Jesus accomplished his mission and based on the promises he made and given in many places in the Bible, some human beings, that is, those who have placed their trust in the word of God, will also, at the return of Jesus, rise to newness of life. There, of course, have been books written claiming that when Jesus was buried, he wasn't really dead, but was in a state of unconsciousness. Really? Yes, really. Let's look at the evidence to see if it could be true. As you may well know, Jesus, after being condemned to death, was forced to carry his cross to Golgotha. He was so weakened by not having slept for two nights and following a cruel, severe flogging with the consequent loss of blood and physical damage to just about every part of his body that he was unable to carry the cross very far. Secondly, the Romans used the cross as an instrument of death, no, lo no matter how long it took for the victims to die. No one was ever taken from a cross who was still alive. The agony of hanging from nails driven into the feet and hands was excruciating, and even worse, breathing was almost impossible. The primary reason causing death on a cross was asphyxiation rather than bleeding. Thirdly, one of the Roman soldiers thrust a spear up through Jesus' heart. The Bible records that blood and water gushed out. You can read that in John 19 verse 34. It was not possible to survive when a spear pierces through the heart. Now we've got a few more of these to look at, but we'll have a little break for a moment and come back straight afterwards.
Just before the break, I was sharing with you some of the evidences to show that Jesus was not really still partly alive, but he was well and truly dead after he'd been crucified at Calvary. And we looked at the fact that Jesus was wounded and weakened by the flogging, that the cross caused death by asphyxiation, and also one of the soldiers had thrust a spear up through into his heart. Fourthly, the Roman soldiers found that Jesus had died. For that reason, they did not break his legs, which was the usual custom in case the crucified person should somehow manage to escape from the cross during the night. Fifthly, the body of Jesus was taken down from the cross. This would not be permitted if he was still alive. And then there's another thing. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich Jew, who at this time identified as a follower of Jesus, had purchased over 30 kilograms of embalming ointment. It would have cost a huge sum of money. If Jesus was only in a swoon, what would have been the point of embalming him? No, Jesus was well and truly dead, and he remained dead over the Sabbath in the tomb. But early Sunday morning he resurrected, and the angels announced to the women who came to the tomb, He's not here, he's risen. Mao Zedong, Lenin, Buddha, and Muhammad are dead. Jesus is not because he rose from the dead. He is and was God. Sometimes Jesus is referred to as God the Son or God the Word. Jesus' resurrection is tremendous news for human beings because Jesus came to this earth in order to do what mankind could not do. He paid the price to atone or expiate for the sins of others like you and me. He made a way out a way of escape from eternal death and provided a way for us to have eternal life. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. But the sad thing with all of this is that many people reject God's kind offer because they don't believe that God is real or they do not take God seriously. What I find even more difficult to understand is when people hear and understand this good news of salvation that many of them pass it up. Perhaps it is all too simple, too easy. Salvation is a gift from God. You don't have to earn it. All you have to do is take it. It's yours for the asking. Now I recognise that there are some people who torture themselves and even self-harm themselves in an attempt 
to appease God, to put themselves in favour with God. But the Bible is silent about all that, but it does state very clearly that salvation is a gift. Romans 6.23 makes that abundantly plain. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the difference between a gift and wages? Wages are what you deserve. You work and you get paid for your work because you deserve to be paid. That's wages. But a gift is given whether you deserve it or not. It is unconditional. It is not given according to your performance. The gift of eternal life is given because of Jesus' performance, not ours. Because he took the penalty that should have been mine and yours, our debt for sinning is paid. He paid it. All we have to do is accept the gift of grace and forgiveness. What should we say then to those who accuse us of practising good morals and for keeping God's commandments? Do we do that to make ourselves good enough to be saved? No way. We do it because we are saved and we want to show our gratitude to our loving Lord who made it possible for us to be saved. The tomb of Jesus is empty. He has risen and is in heaven with God the Father, administering forgiveness to those who ask for forgiveness. But remember one thing. You need to ask in order to receive. So what about it? Will this wonderful news of salvation go in one ear and out the other? Oh, please, don't let that happen. God is willing if you are. It all depends on you. Do something about it now, today. Don't put it off until tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. Friends, we must stop. I hope this episode of Give Me the Bible has been meaningful to you and I hope you will accept the challenge and go to God for forgiveness. He will accept you as he longs for people to turn from their sinful ways and turn to him for salvation. So, until next time, I wish you peace, peace that comes from knowing your sins are forgiven and peace which comes from knowing you are loved and accepted by God.